Welcome to episode 6 of the Anarchaeologist podcast. Today, it is Archaeologist Under Fire. I talked to Brent Huffman, who's a filmmaker, who is releasing a film about a site in Afghanistan. It's quite a tough thing to listen to, but I was engaged the entire time I was talking to him, and I really loved to hear about what it's like to do archaeology in other places. So, buckle down, listen up, and just enjoy the stories that he has to tell. This is the Anarchaeologist Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Anarchaeologist podcast. This is episode six. This is Battle Zone Archaeology. Today I'm speaking to Brent E. Huffman, who is a filmmaker who has a film coming out called Saving Mace Einak. I hope I said that correctly, which is detailing an archaeological site in Afghanistan. The site has a lot of Buddhist structures and is quite a large site but it is being threatened by a Chinese company coming in to start a copper mine. So, Brent, I just want to start off. How did you hear about this going on? What was the kind of, what drew you to this site in particular? Yeah, that's a a good question with kind of a complicated answer. So uh, I actually read, so I'm in the United States. I'm uh, in Chicago, Chicago Chicago-based filmmaker, and uh, I'm a a professor at, at uh, Northwestern University, I teach uh, documentary filmmaking. Um, so I, I read a story here in the uh, New York Times uh, about um, this Chinese company. And the, the, the story suggested that this Chinese government-owned company wanted to mine what was maybe $100 billion worth of copper in Taliban country, in Maysinek, this this area. And this New York Times story suggested that the U.S. military was helping this company set up and was providing security. It was, it was a very shocking story. Um, and I had been interested in kind of China's presence around the world, and this story really struck me that, you know, China was willing to kind of go to Taliban country and, you know, um, create this mine and bring in its own employees and that the, that the U.S. government was involved. I, I just thought it was bizarre. Um, secondary, then I found out that on top of this copper preserve is this just enormous Buddhist city. This, it's about 500,000 square meters. Um, it's a monastical complex, you know, um, temples and stupas and hundreds of statues. I think there's like maybe 600 statues, some of them enormous, you know, um, sort of three or four times life size, you know, just these enormous 
statues, a site connected to the, the Bamiyan um, uh, Buddhist site that was destroyed by the by the Taliban, uh, right on the Silk Road. And I learned that, you know, in order for this Chinese company to mine this copper, they would have to destroy everything. And it, they're proposing to do an open pit style mine, which would destroy all this all this Buddhist artifacts. There's actually um, a Bronze Age site underneath the Buddhist site. So it, it would basically destroy the site, erase all this history. Um, there, are, there are six villages in the area that would have to be destroyed. Um, and then, the you know, as I'm sure you're aware, maybe your, your listens, listeners are aware, open pit mining is terribly destructive. Um, so it, it, you know, very likely just create this toxic pit where no one could ever live again. Um, uh, so all of this, all of this really interest, interested me. Um, the older I get, I'm also really interested yeah. in difficult stories to tell, you know, and I think this one kind of presented itself as an impossible story that, that nobody wanted to tell, you know, the U S military doesn't want this story told the Chinese company doesn't want this told, you know, story told. Um, so I, I was, I think I was attracted to that, this, this in, just incredible, the story of this incredible site and, um, th- this sort of complex and terrible situation that this site found itself in. So um, what, at what yeah. point did you go from, well, I want to do something to actually flying over and getting things sorted? I mean, um, what, what was the process happening there? Did you get in contact with someone? Did someone get in contact with you? What happened? Yeah, so I I did this. It sounds crazy, but I did this all, you know, independently. Um, I had been in Afghanistan before. I actually covered the the presidential, you know, elections um, in two thousand four. Yeah, so I I I'd been in the country before, and I Afghans are an incredible people, and it's an incredible country. They're a very warm people, you know. Um, so I, I had already sort of fallen in love with the culture. I love the love the country. Um, so I know I could. I knew I could. Go to you know go to Afghanistan and at least work in in Kabul, the capital city. Um, but you know, May Sinek is uh, it's about twenty five miles southeast uh, in Logar Province, which is Taliban country. It's really cr- close to the, the the border with Pakistan. Um, so I, I you know it, it was a really scary pros- prospect. Like could I could I get out to the to the site? This is actually before I had children. Um, and since I had, since I, I've got two yeah. kids now, it, it it made it even worse, you know, going out to the site. I mean, did anybody ever call you crazy for doing it? Like, did anybody say, yes. yeah. <laughs> dude, <laughs> you realize you're kind of uh, playing with fire there? Yes, yeah. People, people said, I'm, I'm crazy. So I actually, w- I actually went to the site in like an unmarked taxi. You know, I drove, it's like a desert, desert highways. You're the lone car on the road, you know driving out in the middle of nowhere it was very scary through villages that were you know known Taliban supporters I mean it, it was totally insane and people yeah people would would tell me that people would also tell me that you know there's not a film here that like uh, nobody's gonna talk to me you know the Chinese will never talk to you you'll never get access to the site you know um, kind of over and over again people were you know very uh, negative about about this yeah. film, um, but I, I I persevered. I visited the I visited Masonic, uh, for the first time in 2011, and I just I, I was you know awestruck. You know it's it's very Indiana Jones. You know uh, huh. it, you know it's uh, kind of comparable to like a like a Machu Picchu. You know which is a, a, mm-hmm. another site that I've been at before. 
Uh, That's in uh, South America, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, in, in Peru. Yeah, so it, it's a Masonic is very mountainous and it's 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 enormous. You know, there there are like I said, these temples spread all over all over the place. Um, there you know are these underground caverns that the archaeologists are ex- exposing that are that are full of material. Um, so it was it was just r- really exciting to be at the site. I, mm-hmm. Like I like I mentioned, I'm not an archaeologist, but Archaeologists tell you know tell me that the the situation Masonic is really unique in that they're finding just an incredible amount of you know material. They're finding statues and manuscripts and jewelry and coins and necklaces and just just all kinds of thing you know complete artifacts. And I'm told that that's that's pretty rare to kind of be just digging up all of this stuff as opposed yeah just sort of fragments and things like that. So I think overall, you know, the the site is, you know, just very, very exciting, very, um, you know, it is very cinematic for the kind of work uh, that I do. <laughs> um, and I think I just, I just, I fell in love with the with the site, and I fell in love with the the Afghan archaeologists, you know, risking their lives to to do this, you know, mm-hmm. to do this work. Like I said, in in Taliban country. So were there uh, were there archaeologists already working on the site, or did you kind of get involved with uh, like did you get were you involved with the project that was ongoing, or were you talking to a few and decided to put this together? I mean, what happened there for them to actually be on site and for archaeological excavation to occur? Yeah. So when yeah when I arrived at the site, there was kind of the beginnings of small scale. Uh, only local archaeology um, happening at the site. And, you know, after I was there, it kind of ballooned and got bigger and then shrunk shrunk back down again mm-hmm. um, recently. The situation is pretty bad there right now, actually. Uh, but when I arrived, it was just sort of the, the beginnings of this rescue uh, project. And, the you know, archaeologists were sort of telling me and pleading with me that, you know, they, they didn't have enough time and that what they were doing was, was kind of, um, you know, crazy and impossible. You know, um, they, they described the, the dig as, you know, a 30 to 40 year project and they were given three years in, in total to, to kind of do everything. So they were really just scrambling and um, mm-hmm. uh, they're, they're also working um, without computers, without cameras, without mm-hmm. any kind of uh, equipment, without chemicals, you know. Um, uh, so, you know, when I first arrived at the site, I felt like, you know, even though I'm a, I'm a filmmaker, I'm a journalist, I felt I really have an obligation to tell the world that this is happening. You know, it wouldn't be okay if my film came out and the site was already destroyed. So I, I felt, like I said, that I, I had to kind of be this advocate and this activist for the, the site and help s- spread the word and do what I can to if not completely save Masonac, uh, to give the archaeologists more time to, you know, raise awareness. Um, and that's still some, you know, that's still a big hope of mine that the, the film can do that. So what sort of uh, precautions, like obviously you've talked about, you know, um, being cautious, going out by yourself in an unmarked car, but what sort of precautions did you need to take when you were on the site filming? Because obviously when you're in that, kind of area um you know things can happen quite rapidly i mean what sort of what were you kind of 
always concerned about? What was on your mind? Yeah, uh, you know, that's a that's a great question. I mean, um, driving out to the site, Afghanistan is the most landmine country in the world, and so there there are there are these old, still active landmines like buried in the ground all over the place. Um, but also, you know, the the Taliban will hide landmines in the roads uh, at night. Um, Mm-hmm. So uh, someone working at the site sort of compared working at Masonic like Russian roulette, you know, like you kind of just never knew. And there was there was no precautions you could really take, like if you sort of stepped in the wrong place, you know, or took a wrong turn in your car. You, ne- you never know. So you, you sort of took this 50-50 risk uh, every every time. Um, I did work with a, a local Afghan fixer that I worked before, a translator, who I really trusted. And I think... That was really important that um, I kind of leaned on his expertise. You know, we'd only go to the site during the day. I, I would never stay in the area overnight, you know. I, I would try to, um, you know, if there was, if I was driving in some way and there was some problem, we'd, we'd drive another way out or take a different way out if we felt like mm-hmm. maybe we were noticed or followed or, or something. So like I said, it was it was always, like I said, this... 50-50 if you were going to, you know, make it out okay, but uh, which, which does sound very crazy. Um, but as much as, as much as we could, we, we tried to take, you know, precautions. Um, now, the, the archaeologists, you know, the Afghan archaeologists took far greater risks. Like, they were, um, the, the main character in my film is named uh, Kadir Tamore, uh, and he was... Um, you know, constantly threatened. The, the Taliban would actually call him on his cell phone and say, "You know, if you don't give us this amount of money, you know, we're going we're to kill you. We're going to kill your your friends, the other archaeologists on the site." Um, and and he would still, you know, he'd still show up. He'd still come to work. You know, I mean, the, uh, the archaeologists are incredibly brave. One thing that did happen uh, uh, during my time at the site is a one of the the workers the so um there's sort of local people in Logar province in the area that would work at the site sort of digging holes and you know moving dirt around and and not archaeology but you know just just sort of re- removing uh dirt rocks and basic stuff like that and um he did hit a, a landmine with a pickaxe and it blew up in his face and he ended up um He's, he's still alive, but he he lost an eye, and it, it could have been worse. So the, oh, you know, word. they they face these you know threats from the the Taliban land you know landmines all over the all over the site. The Afghan archaeologists were also sort of pawns in um, the the politics of Mason. That's that's something I I learned about archaeology <laughs> uh, was the, you know the the political nature of <laughs> yeah. it that. That saving, you know, saving a site, it, it seems like something very simple and very obvious, but there, there were, you know, enormous political yeah. pressures facing the archaeologists on the site. And, you know, there were times when they wouldn't, they wouldn't be paid for six months. Uh, that, that happened just this year that the archaeologists weren't paid for three months and the site was just completely dormant. You know, there was nothing happening. Are different groups of archaeologists that working at at May Sinek, and they work at different parts of the site, and they they don't get along, and they fight with one another. I, I sort of learned those those types of things, you know, the the, the complexities of a of a dig that that maybe someone new to archaeology wouldn't wouldn't assume, you know, went on. Were there any extremely large obstacles that needed to be overcome? I mean, obviously, getting 
to this site was very dangerous. But I mean, on site when you were filming, were there any obstacles to overcome, and were there any obstacles that you could see with uh, the archaeologists? Yeah. So right. So in in addition to just security threats and danger at the at the site, there were different groups of archaeologists, which I which I mentioned. One group was actually funded by the Ministry of Mines, the Afghan Ministry of Mines, um, which was a conflict of interest, I, I felt. And, and there, were actually, you know, there were actually people employed under the Ministry of Mines with this team of archaeologists that, that tried to stop me from accessing the site. Uh, the, the U.S. Embassy, surprisingly, didn't want me to make this film, you know, try to try to stand in the way of completing the film, which really surprised me. So th- those are some of the, the political ramifications. Um, or there were things that I would film at the site that people didn't want me to, to see, mainly some like this, these, these bigger issues of the Afghan archaeologists kind of being exploited and, and not paid. And in my film, I actually film a scene where the, this uh, Kadir Tamore, this Afghan archaeologist, you know, has to has to fight with these with some of these European archaeologists, demanding that you know that they're paid, that they that they get the resources they've they've asked for. Uh, the The World Bank uh, actually put out a press release that said that Masonic was the the largest archaeological dig in the world and the most expensive dig in the world, and that you know somewhere between ten and thirty million dollars have been put into this. Did you did you see any of that money? <laughs> Like being used? No, yeah, like no, like the archaeologists were were like begging for cameras. They were like, "Can we have some like digital cameras? Can we have a computer?" You know, like they. I filmed the scene where they're fighting for like one laptop uh, computer, and 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 things like that really shocked me. As you know, Afghanistan is kind of famous for corruption and you know for, for these kind of things happening, but that you know a site of this importance. It was getting so mired in this very kind of petty arguments and just things I felt shouldn't be happening. I actually, I, I had a Kickstarter where I raised money for the film and actually in doing that raised money to buy the archaeologists some computers and some, some cameras because I couldn't, I couldn't believe that they, you know, didn't have those things. And it, it just felt like, um, it kind of felt like, you know this this setup for disaster. That the, the the politics of the site were also that there would be a, a site manager that was usually a European, and that person would get fired every year, basically, so that a new person has to come in and kind of start over. And there was always just this sort of mm-hmm. you know chaos at the at the site in an organizational way, you know. And I and, and in making the film, I you know, I I really got close to the Afghan archaeologists, and like I said, that's sort of the, the focus of my film. But I I, I made quite a few enemies of people that didn't like what I was filming and didn't like the story that I was trying to tell. And, you know, um, and that surprised me, you know, people that I would think would become advocates for the site that actually sort of turned into, you know, enemies of the film and people that, you know, really tried to stand in my, stand in my way and stop me from accessing the site. Yeah. What kind of, like, I mean, when you're saying, obviously, from a filming perspective, you do have a story to tell. I mean, it's very much, at this point, the story is more about the excavation and what it means in the political sense. I mean, what what is the story that you're trying to tell? What is the general gist of it? Yeah, so I I think... You know, saving May Sinek is is kind of this love letter to Afghanistan. That um, 
you know, especially in, in the United States, the, the stereotype of the country is that it's, you know, this this the home of, of terrorists or victims of terrorism and, you know, that it's this war zone, you know, but there's there's so much there. And yes, you know, it's a it's a country that's that's constantly um you know, been been victims of, of war, you know, whether it's the Russians or the Americans or the Taliban, you know, Afghans have always kind of got landlocked and stuck in the middle of these these wars. Um, but, uh, you know, underneath that, in a cultural sense, you know, Afghanistan has this just incredibly rich cultural heritage. I mean, hundreds of Buddhist, incredible Buddhist sites spread all out of the, all over the country, you know, um, major Silk Road uh, sites that are incredible that are all being threatened by, um, you know, looting or these these new mining ventures where somebody's kind of exploiting, again, exploiting the people of Afghanistan, exploiting the, the culture of Afghanistan. So I, I see the, the film as this, you know, it, it, is, it is a documentary uh, film um, that's showing, you know, Afghans really taking ownership of their, their culture and really, you know, risking their lives to try to preserve it for, for future generations. And, you know, and it, it's, it's a small personal story of May Sinek, but I think it reflects the bigger, you know, issue of this is a whole country of, like I said, extremely um, uh, important, you know, cultural relics and cultural sites. Literally all of them are threatened, like I said, by, um, you know, uh, immediately threatened by, by war or looting or, or mining. Um, and I, I hope my film is, is just sort of a way to show Americans that Afghanistan is so much more than the, the stereotype and that, you know, in addition to the Afghans, there's this just enormous body of cultural heritage uh, at risk. And, you know, people can get involved right now. People can, can make a difference and, you know, donate money to the archaeologists, you know, um, sign petitions, really help to save this, this heritage. It, it happened, uh, you know, in, in 2001 when the Taliban uh, um, blew up these these towering uh, Buddhist statues from the sixth century. I think they were 100 feet, 150 feet or taller. Um, you know, destroyed these wonders of the world. Really, um, the whole world, you know, gasped and was shocked and horrified and outraged and, and sort of felt. How could this happen, and and why didn't we do something to to save this, you know, these wonders of the world, this incredible sight? Um, and now with, with you know with May Sinek, people can get involved. They can um, put pressure on the Afghan government to to fully preserve the site. They can donate money to the Afghan archaeologists to help their preservation efforts. They can sign petitions. They can really get involved and and do something now. Um, and that's what I hope the film can help kind of propel save this site and and hopefully save save other sites save other threatened um archaeological sites in afghanistan you know my biggest fear is that it that won't happen that masonic will be dis, you know destroyed that this chinese company will blow up the site completely destroy this uh buddhist city and then you know the world will say oh god why didn't we do something why didn't we step in why didn't we save it that's that's my greatest fear that People will wait until it's it's too late to to act when, you know, now is now is the time for action. So, um, I want to get back to the day to day 
part of the site. I mean, what did you kind of understand about archaeology before you started the project? I mean, what was your understanding and how, how did, what did you learn about archaeology? Yeah, so my understanding of archaeology was, was pretty basic. I think I, I took one kind of overview course in, in college and I, I'd been to an archaeological dig site, you know, once before in my, in my life. So I was, I was pretty much starting from scratch. I think I, I learned a, a tremendous amount. It is, it is kind of a unique situation. Uh, you know, I learned that, like I said, the political c- complexities of a, a dig. I also learned about, you know, the, the different kinds of, of digs that in a situation like this, in a, in a, a battle zone, as, as, mm-hmm. as you called it, you know, archaeologists are forced to work in this, in this, in a, in a very different mode that I think frustrates them. And, and that's what was happening at, May Sinek that, that archaeologists um, were doing what they call rescue archaeology, uh, which is, you know, kind of like what a what a looter would do. You know, which is anything that's you know removable. So the thinking is is that May Sinek, this Buddhist city, will be completely destroyed. All the temples, all the stupas, all the structures are going to get blown up. They're going to go. We, they can't save them. They're too big. If they tried to move them, they would they would break them. And the archaeologists, like I said, were lacking chemicals. They were lacking vehicles. You know, they they were working with, in really the most kind of, mm-hmm. you know, primitive situation. Um, so the kind of work they were doing was, you know, digging into to structures, trying to expose caverns, trying to expose other layers, and and trying to discover any statues or, like I said, small artifacts like. Mm-hmm. Um, Coins or um, artifacts used for for copper smelting. The Masonic was a major hub uh, for copper smelting. The Buddhists were actually, perf- perf- you know, doing um, an ancient f- kind of form of copper mining themselves. So they were actually there to mine the copper too. Everyone was attracted to Masonic for yeah. for the copper. Um, <laughs> yeah. So in performing rescue archaeology, they're basically just anything that they could kind of preserve and basically break off of the, the site, um, you know, that's, that's what they would, would do. And, you know, um, in the most primitive way possible. Uh, so, you know, those were, those were some of the things that I, the, you know, I learned kind of the, the day-to-day frustrations and, and how to do um, or an attempt to do very complex work using the, you know, the, the least amount of tools and the least amount of, chemicals, you know, doing complex work in, in, in a war zone, you know. Um, and I really came to it just really admire the, the, the work of the um, archaeologists, you know. Like I said, the whole area was covered in landmines. I mean, imagine doing archaeology, you know, and, and digging somewhere when, that, you know, that could be your last yeah. move, you know. That, that, could, that could blow your face off, you know. I mean, it's, 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 it is sort of, sort of crazy. It seems like it's another world with what a lot of archaeologists are definitely used to. Uh, what, yeah, what is your definitely. kind of general feeling about archaeology now? I mean, what, what does it mean to you uh, like now that you've seen all that happen? I mean, do you, do you respect archaeology a lot more? <laughs> or definitely in, that, definitely in I, Afghanistan? I, I do, yeah. I have an enormous respect respect for archaeology and archaeologists. I think, you know, uh, if they didn't do this work, it, 
you know, it would be as if this history was just unknown or as if the history didn't exist, you know. You know, there's this just tremendous rich history in, in you know, mm. Afghanistan, like I said, of these, these Buddhist pilgrimages and, um, you know, B- Afghanistan being these, these major trading hubs where coins are being produced and, you know, people from all over the world are traveling through the country. But without archaeology that history wouldn't exist. Like, we, we just li- literally wouldn't know mm-hmm. this ever happened. And we just consider to think of Afghanistan like this this terrible war zone where you should never mm-hmm. go and, you know, um, where where that's not at all the case. It has this just incredibly rich history and rich past. And, um, yeah, you know, the, the, the work of archaeologists, you know, is so important. The reason I bring it up is because one of the things that I've – always noticed and it's always been a bugbear for me is the way archaeology and archaeologists are represented in mass media and how a lot of the time archaeologists are treated as you know you know the bumbling professor in the back of the library or you know somebody kind of pottering around a little trench uh finding some shards of pottery or something you know it's a very quaint kind of uh image and what I, I what I really like um, about uh, what you've described in the film is that you're portraying a very much uh, a much more violent and realistic and actually probably very much more down to earth archaeology. I mean, do you do you know where that uh, you understand what I mean with the the differences in image of archaeology? Yes, yes, definitely. Um... And I don't, I don't know, I don't know if you want to hear this, but one, one of the frustrations for me about archaeologists sometimes Go on. is, is it, uh, that, um, and this, this is, this is more true for, for academics, you know, archaeologists that, that are kind of rooted in academia is that they're, they're, they're sometimes very dispassionate or the field tries to make them dispassionate and, they're very careful about what they can say. So, you know, in my, in my field, you know, um, in documentary, I, I, I try to look for, you know, charismatic, very passionate people. And by definition, some archaeologists, in, in part because other archaeologists will kind of pick them apart and critique them if they say the wrong thing or if yeah. they seem too excited about something or if they seem to care too much, you know, other, other archaeologists will give them a hard time and discredit them. So it's... Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I acknowledge it's, it's tricky, but, you know, some of these things I think archaeologists do to themselves because because of the nature of the field. Like they come across like they don't like they don't care or that they can't comment um, because they're, you know, they're they're being careful and they're they're sort of afraid of what their peers might yeah. say about them. Um, no, but I, I think. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think underneath that, though, you know, and the archae- the Afghan archaeologists sort of weren't weren't this way. Um, <laughs> you know, underneath that it is is a lot of passion and a lot of devotion. But sometimes archaeologists don't let don't let journalists see that or don't let filmmakers see yeah. that. Um, to be absolutely honest, having a bomb possibly going off in your face really brings quite a lot of things in perspective. <laughs> yeah, I can't say that. <laughs> That's the most horrible thing. Um, <laughs> obviously, a lot uh, happens on the site, and there's a lot uh, surrounding it. What What is your hope for not only 
the film and not only the site but like what comes out of the site what what are you hoping is the future in terms of you know what people learn from this um yeah so i i hope uh and, and some of this some of this i've touched on but that uh you know and I hope the film reaches a, a, a bigger international audience. It'll actually premiere at a major film festival at the end of November. Um, so I'm, I'm hope I'm hope yeah I'm I'm hoping it I'm hoping it'll reach a, a big international wide audience. And I hope the film will um, show just the incredibly rich and diverse heritage of Afghanistan that connects it to the rest of the world and that above all costs is is worth saving and must be saved and must be preserved and this this even notion that a a private company can come in and just erase the history of the country is is insane like it it just can't happen so i i hope the film is is this this catalyst to to save the site i i actually hope that the that the salvage the the rescue archaeology stops and that the site is just completely preserved and you know that it could be Made into a uh, you know a tourist destination. Actually, actually, Bamiyan, the remains of Bamiyan for years has been a, a a sort of tourist destination where people can come and stay the night and see the site, despite the violence, despite the risk of the risk of violence. Um, and I and I hope the same thing for May Sinek, and I hope the same thing for for other threatened sites in Afghanistan and you know anywhere else in the world. I, I hope that this the film can kind of be this small personal story that reflects this bigger, bigger picture that these sites need to be preserved. And there's people in this case, Afghan archeologists, you know, risking their lives uh, literally every day um, going without pay, going without equipment, working in the worst possible situations to save their history, to save their, their culture. And I think the international community needs to get behind them and needs to help them as much as I can yeah. As much as we can to 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 do this work, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it, it's so important for future generations that we preserve our history. You know, that we preserve the the past. And yeah, I, I hope I hope the film. Those are kind of lofty things, but yeah. I hope the I hope the film can do you know some of that. At the very least, I hope the film can give the archaeologists more time to do more work and discover more things before it's before it's all destroyed. But honestly, it would really break my heart to see. Yeah. You know the site destroyed, and to see the the years of work that archaeologists have done now, you know, completely erased. It just would it would be a, tra- a tragedy on all levels. You've done quite a number of documentaries over the last number of years, and actually, apparently, uh, won some awards and got nominations. How has this film documentary been different to maybe some of your other projects? Yeah, so that, that's a good question. I, this film has been different because, you know, on the other projects, I've been more, you know, uh, observer and, and journalist and documentary filmmaker. And in this film, while the, the film, like, so I'm not in the documentary, the, the, the film is not my story. It's, it's completely the, the Afghan archaeologist story. Um, but in addition to the film, I've been, become much more of an advocate. You know, I've I've been on CNN talking about this. I've I've done stories for New York Times. I've I've written about this. Like I've I've really been more of this this ac- activist advocate, um, you know, f- for the site and for for Afghanistan in a, in a much bigger way. And I think that's that's all just because you know 
the the work of the archaeologists that I saw, you know, touched me and, and moved me. And I think I felt a real obligation that I couldn't just watch this happen, you know, that I, I couldn't go to sleep at night and be okay with myself if I didn't try to raise awareness about this and, and, and do more than just make a film. You know, that, that was really important that I, and I, I was able to raise money for the Afghan archaeologists already, but I, I want the film to help do more, you know, to help kind of establish really secure, well-funded archaeological departments within Afghanistan that can not only save Maysinek, but help save some of these other sites. I think that that's the big way this has been, been different as I've kind of evolved into the, the film kind of being more of a movement than just the standalone movie that people watch. So if people are interested in learning more about the project, what are the different ways in which they can get involved? So uh, I can I can give you the, the website. Yeah, um, so Yes, uh, savingmaysinac.com is kind of the, the hub for learning about how you can see the film as well as updates about the situation, uh, as well as ways you can get involved. So there's links to our official petition. There's ways that you could donate to the film, to the archaeologists. Um, and uh, hopefully, you know, Afghanistan is going through tremendous change right now, and some of that change has been positive. Um, the country's got a new president, um, Ashraf Ghani, I think, is a former anthropologist, economist. Um, I think there's an opportunity to, you know, represent this material to this, this new president, um, resubmit uh, a, a new petition to this new president, really kind of get the film in his hands, bring the cause to a new administration, which I, 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 I am optimistic about. Um, so all, all of that is, is sort of on on the website um, right now. Um, there's a very active Facebook page, uh, too, that's linked from the website where you can see images of, of the site. You can see, uh, you know, trailers and clips from the film. All, all of that is kind of uh, up there right now. Absolutely fantastic. And uh, I implore everybody to definitely check that out. I'll provide links in the episode description below. If you are an archaeologist under fire, and that's probably in more ways than one in uh, Mesa and Inak, remember you can always get in contact with the show. Thank you very much, Brent, for having sitting down, having a chat with us, and uh, I hope and I wish all the best for the project. Uh, do you think you'll be uh, doing some more um, documentaries about archaeological sites? Will we see you again? I hope so. Yeah, I'm, I'm very interested in, in in Pakistan right now. There's a, there's a lot of sites under under threat there and similar situations. So so I would say probably. <laughs> no worries. Thank you for uh, coming and chatting with us tonight. Great. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, and thank you so much for for covering this. No problem. That was the Anarchaeologist podcast talking with Brent E. Huffman. If you want to get uh, check out his website, Saving Mace Inac check the link below that's it for this week and check us out in a fortnight's time with the next show